The nail in the coffin! to beat the Colts on Sunday. The Cleveland Browns are 4-1. and one. Their best start since 1994. Andrew Schnitke, co-founder and editor of WaitingForNextYear.com. You were at the stadium on Sunday. Uh, we'll get to the much-improved on-field product here in a minute, but first I got to ask you, what uh, what was the atmosphere like down there? Yeah, it was, uh, it was definitely interesting. Um, it was something I'm glad I got to experience. Uh, I don't think I'll go to too many other Browns games with only uh, 12,000 people in the stands. Um, I would say it was interesting. I, um, the fans were certainly into it at the beginning of the game. Um, it was loud in that stadium, both because of the fans, because boy, do they crank those speakers up. Holy cow. Like <laughs> they don't tell you like earplugs would not be a bad idea. Like it is that loud. Like if you were talking to your friends, and all of a sudden they start piping something through those speakers. Like you have to stop talking. And I don't know if they're always that loud. And like normally there's just more people in the stadium to kind of muffle that. Or if they are just cranking it up to make up that difference. But boy, are those speakers loud. Um, but but the, the fans were great uh, at first. Uh, certainly through the first half, they were great. And then in the second half, um, even with 12,000 people, things started to get a little... Uh, a little toxic, a little sloppy uh, amongst the fans inside the stadium. Uh, I've, good, thing, good to know some things never change. Right. I mean, it was, I mean, you know, I, I said, like, I've told people this before. I've said, you know, like, First Energy Stadium, is, it can be a depressing place, you know, uh, sometimes the, you know, and like, this is, like, is going to happen when you have 20 years of pathetic football, like, it's just it takes its toll and i think that there's like i think it's been so long since the browns have truly been good in any kind of meaningful way that i think people have almost forgotten like yeah okay guess what like all those new england teams they didn't convert every third down guys made mistakes they people dropped passes like those things happen and it's just so annoying to sit there and watch a game in which the browns are leading pretty much wire to wire we're about to go four and one. We're going to beat a very good Indianapolis team. And people are still mad in that stadium because, you know, Jarvis drops a pass or Baker overthrows a guy. And it's like, let's, let's chill out a little bit on that. Like, let's, let's just have fun with this. So, so there's definitely a mix and I'm not, by no means was everything that way, but you know, it's, uh, it was interesting. I'll say that. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned it with when Jarvis dropped those couple of passes. I was watching the game with a couple of uh, family members, and we were all like, none of us were even mad. I think we were all more just like shocked. We're like surprised. Yeah, what? Like, what? What? He doesn't do that. Yeah. Is that what just happened? <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's uh, you know. It, it, that's uh it's interesting to hear i you know i was gonna make the joke that uh you know twelve thousand people in the stands at a browns game is probably not unprecedented i mean you just have to look at some of those uh late december games and uh, some of those five and eleven years but uh you know yeah. um you know i guess uh having twelve thousand people there in a good season uh that is a little uh, gonna take some getting used to but 
um, you know, just from the conversations that we've had in the uh, the WFNY Slack, uh, you've always kind of struck me as being one of the most uh, responsible people that I know with regards to, you know, doing what you're supposed to be doing with uh, COVID and, you know, the social distancing and just being careful and responsible with stuff. And I was just kind of curious from that perspective, were, you know, were the stadium people keeping an eye on things? Were fans generally good with that or, or how did that go? Yeah, that's a good, that's a good question. And I will, yeah, and you're certainly right on that perception. I would say amongst friends and family, I'm definitely uh, one of the more cautious people with it. Um, you know, I've definitely been one to take this probably a little bit more serious than, you know, than others. And that's fine. I'm not going to make any value judgments on that here, you know, here on the show, but, uh, I would definitely give the Browns a lot of credit uh, as an organization. I really felt like they did a fantastic job of being about as reasonable as you can be in keeping people distanced and safe. Um, they were they were like hawks with the masks. Like they have they so what they do is they have uh, the um, the ushers have these signs that they can hold up that say mask required or put on your mask or something like that and so like if they see somebody without a mask it's like they're up there holding they'll point at you and point to their sign and hold it up and say you know put your mask back on you are required at all times to wear that mask unless you are actively eating or drinking so you can take it down take a drink your mask needs to go back on or somebody will probably say something to you um you know the uh they the seating they do a great job so they seat people in pods of four um and then all so there'll be like four people in one row and then all the rest of the seats are all zip tied up so you can't you can't even spread out so like amongst our group of four like you know we had four guys like normally you know you do the whole buffer you know one seat buffer everybody would spread out You, you can't you can't even you can't do that like when you go with your group of four it better be four people that you know because you're going to be sitting there with those four people um and uh there's no no way of getting more people into into a row like that isn't happening um there's signs on the floors everywhere like in like high traffic areas like the escalators and the um the concessions you know showing like hey six feet distance um even the bathrooms the urinals are uh taped off so you cannot uh use a urinal right next to somebody. Wow. Um, I gotta tell you, like the whole experience of going using the restroom in that stadium with 12,000 fans is fantastic. Like, <laughs> I, I mean, literally like ran down there, went into the restroom, no line. I walked right up to a urinal, went, was right back up. Didn't miss hardly a play like that. That, that aspect of it's great. Um, the, the only time that it would, I would say things were a little like less than on the up and up was when the game was over, you know, you had, even though it was only 12,000 people, there's still only so many ways to get out of that stadium. And that, you know, people were definitely uh, cramped in there and that, you know, the masks came off so everybody could yell, you know, here we go brownies and, you know, uh, all, all that stuff. But I, I give the Browns credit. I really did. I really felt like they, they did a good job keeping that as like on the up and up as you could about it, as you could expect. That's good. I, uh, I know things have not been particularly great around the state, uh, yeah. this week especially so at least we're getting a little bit of good news at the the stadium and it, it you know knock on wood it seems like so far it, things have gone well with these games and hopefully yeah, they'll I, be able to continue having some fans there it, it helps I think they want to be I I would say like 
I'm sure the urge is going to be for them to keep increasing the number of fans. And I would say I would not be comfortable with very many more fans being in there than there was. Um, so that'll be something interesting to see is, you know, where they want to go from here. Um, I think that's only natural that they're going to say, well, if we can do 12,000, can we do what, 16 and 20? And, you know, that number, that num- they're going to keep trying to push that, that number up. But I do think that, you know, the more you push that, the more, you know, you run that risk of things, of things happening. So it'll be yeah. interesting to see. Was it uh, Florida that uh, they yeah. have basically just uh, taken just off all restrictions? <laughs> I think yeah. the Dolphins are even like, uh, you know, hey, whoa, whoa, buddy, let's uh, <laughs> let's slow down here. We're we're fine with like a quarter capacity. So yeah. uh, I don't know. I'll be you got the uh, the Jags and the the Bucks down there as well. I don't know what their plans are. Um, as far as the uh, the Browns themselves, the team here, uh, what a fun start to the season this has been. Um, you know, I, I think uh, when Trav and I were talking on here a few weeks ago, I, I said this, but it's even more true now. Just the difference in the way this team operates is just so much better than last year. It's it's staggering. Minimal penalties, smart clock management, not wasting timeouts. They have not really had, you know, anything in the way off the field drama. Um, it's a good product. It's great. I think what's like what's really interesting to me about this Browns team is. I think in a lot of sports, you know, and particularly basketball and baseball, you talk about like how much difference does a coach or a manager make? And, you know, there's been a lot of debate on those issues. Like, you know, basketball, you've only got five players on the court. So, you know, if you have LeBron James on your team, it probably doesn't much matter who your coach is. You're going to the playoffs. You're going to make a deep run in the playoffs, right? Uh, Baseball, there's all kinds of, you know, debate amongst people about how much difference a manager makes. Well, in football, you would say, well, there's so many coaches on a team. How much difference could a head coach really make? And I look at this Browns team, and it's like, this team is more or less what the team was last year, right? I mean, you know, our first-round draft pick, Jedrick Wills, you know, obviously that's a huge upgrade having, you know, a solid left tackle, but he's still a rookie left tackle. Um, Yeah, we added Conklin and Hooper in free agency, but our second-round pick, got injured and isn't playing this year. Um, you know, I, Jacob Phillips has been playing here and there. But my point is, for the most part, a lot of these guys playing are the same faces and names that we saw last year. And so, like, I asked myself, like, what's the difference? I really feel like the difference is coaching. Like, I think we wondered all last year, the Browns had talent on that team last year, and it made no sense that they played the way that they played. And I think we all kind of wonder, well, like, what would happen if you just had a coach that could just get these guys to line up on time, not waste stupid timeouts, stupid challenges, not call dumb plays when you're trying to operate a two-minute offense. You know, like, if we can just be reasonable and, like, be smart about this, like, what? how much of a difference would it make? And we're kind of seeing this play out with Kevin Stefanski, I feel. I, I couldn't be more impressed, I think, with the job Stefanski has done, like, this team, they are disciplined. They don't hurt themselves. We are always have timeouts to use if we want them at the ends of halves and quarters. You know, like we've gone on how many first half drives to get points on the board at the end of a half. Like we're doing things that like real football teams do. Right. And uh, yeah, and know, that it, was that was what I think it was Jason Lloyd that wrote about it for the Athletic after the Dallas game. 
It was one of those things that was just a little thing. And Jarvis Landry even, I think it was, mentioned it in one of the uh, media availability sessions uh, a couple days after the fact where they had that scenario late first half against Dallas. They're up by, uh, you know, a couple scores and they get the ball at their own 10 yard line with three minutes to go. And it was, uh, you know, a situation. I think the announcers were kind of giving them a hard time for like the plays they ran. Uh, you know, not taking any shots at the end zone, but, you know, they ultimately put up a field goal and, you know, the way that sequence played out, they added to the lead. They took the clock down to zero and they got the ball yeah. start in the third quarter. I mean, that's like everything yeah. you want out of a sequence like that. And I just thought about it. Was it the, uh, the Seattle game last year where the, the Browns just imploded at the end of the first half? Cause yeah. Freddie kitchens was like, yeah, I was trying to like score twice or something like <laughs> yeah. that. And it's the like, there's a reason nobody else twice. does those things. Okay. <laughs> like, what are you doing? So, oh. you know, it's, it's just kind of weird that I, like everybody kind of gravitated towards that one little sequence there and just, you know, what a microcosm that is of just what a, you know, a sea change there's been within the organization. And I think under normal circumstances, I'd be uh, thrilled with the the difference that we've seen so far this year. But when you factor in the off season that the team had, or, you know, more accurately did not have. And, you know, it was, it was no, uh, you know, the training camp was weird. There was no preseason games. OTAs were, eliminated i kind of figured that this was going to be uh, you know a lost season i mean you think about how many times we've seen coaches come in here and you know try to change a culture and fail you know and kevin stefanski meanwhile gets dealt to him probably the worst hand uh in terms of everything that got wiped out and and here we are it's 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 crazy there literally could not be a worse thing to happen to a first time head coach like Forget the fact that he's a new coach for the Browns, but this is a guy who has never been a head coach before. Right. And so this is your first time being head coach. You you take this job, and within a matter of a couple months, you, or what, yeah, like I'm trying to remember when he was actually hired. January, what, I think. Yeah. So in January, by February and March, like we started to know things were happening. Like, if. I believe if I'm not even mistaken, he was even stuck still in Minnesota for a while. Like it took him longer to even move to uh, move to Cleveland because right. that was like right when those shutdowns all first happened. And then it's like, okay, you can't meet with your, you can't meet with your coaches, right? Like you can't sit down in a room with your fellow coaches and develop a plan for what we're going to do in this off season. You have to do everything remote. And I just think it's such a testament to his philosophy and his approach towards everything that he never complained about it. He never whined about it and said, this isn't fair. You know, you know, I'm a, I'm a sucker for like the building, the Browns and things like that, where we get kind of the behind the scenes look and the Browns have been resolute in this from day one. Like this is an opportunity. Like there are going to be teams who handle this well and teams who don't like, we're not, you know, Stefanski famously said in the one thing, you know, he told his players, you guys can complain about these procedures all you want when you're driving in your car to get here. But the second you get here, those complaints stop and we go to work. We do what we have to do and we go to work. We're going to be safe, smart, responsible, and we're going to get the work done. And the teams who handle this well are going to have an advantage over the teams who don't. And we're seeing that play out. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say it can't happen to the Browns. Like there's this virus is unpredictable. It's hard to control. Like, there's a decent chance at some point the Browns will get it. But I just think it just 
it shows from day one the level of preparation that Stefanski has and his outlook of saying like yeah you know this is bad but like we're gonna find a way to make this work for us and if we can do that we're already ahead of uh, of other teams you know so just as you know yeah he's a first-time head coach but everybody is dealing with this COVID situation for the first time so it almost sort of equalized the field for everybody and uh so I'm just I'm very very impressed with certainly with the job he's done so far yeah the one thing I was thinking about I was it 2011 I want to say that Pat Shermer came in and his first year there was that lockout that wiped out a bunch of that offseason we didn't miss any regular season games but that was another situation where you know you really were handcuffed in terms of what you could do before that season started and the Browns that year ended up looking like they were playing catch up the entire time Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> they never and, caught up. And <laughs> Pat Shermer is wherever is, Pat Shermer is. It's not Cleveland. Um, but and they uh, did use that as an excuse, though. Like that was like a it was like a running theme throughout the year. It was well, but we just didn't have the time that we wanted. You exactly. Know, like, that it was an excuse. And even if they didn't try to always say, they, you know, they maybe would preface it with, "Well, we're not going to make any excuses, but here's our excuse." <laughs> you know that thing, right? That famous thing. <laughs> Um, you know, and I just, I think the tone is just so different with the, with these Browns from top to bottom. They're just, you know, Stefanski's not going to, he's not a guy that you're going to get a lot of great answers out of from the media. Certainly he's, uh, you know, he's, he, he's not going to give you a lot, but like, I like the fact that they're just all like no nonsense. It's, you know, what do we need to do today? Like, we're going to take this one week at a time, like one moment at a time. And, uh, I just feel like it's just nice to watch like a normal football team. Like, you know, you don't have, you don't have the, any of the like storylines, the drama or anything like that. Like it's just an average football team. And that, that feels so good. Yeah. Um, let's, uh, let's talk about some of the players who have uh, been making headlines for good reasons this year. Uh, Miles Garrett. Uh, so far, through five games, six sacks, three forced fumbles, a number of QB pressures. Uh, feels like he's making an impact uh, on the defensive side uh, every single week. You know, I was uh, a little concerned coming into the year. Everybody points to the Mason Rudolph incident. You know, that was obviously the worst moment. Um, but, you know, let's not forget, Miles had wrecked up some personal fouls before that last year. And I was concerned about how he might be officiated this year. You know, you see this in the NBA. It drove me nuts. I felt like that J.R. Smith had developed a reputation when he was with the Knicks. And I felt like he got some really uh, unfair calls when he was with the Cavs a lot. Um, And, you know, you'll see in baseball, if pitchers are, you know, able to like, uh, you know, constantly pitch, you know, you know, hit, you know, six inches off the outside of the plate, they might start getting calls that they shouldn't be getting. And there's, there's a human element, whether it's officiating, umpiring, whatever. And I was just kind of wondering if we were going to see something like that with miles, or if he was going to, you know, have some of his aggressiveness, you know, kind of neutered a little bit because he was going to, you know, try to, you know, not be making any waves. And honestly, I mean, there's been a little talk about it this week just because, you know, the Browns are going to be playing the Steelers and it's going to be his first game against Pittsburgh uh, since all that last year. But otherwise, all that's been a complete non-factor and and he's gone right back to 
uh, you know, being a wrecking ball. Yeah. Uh, I kind of felt the same way as you did in a lot of that. I was, I was, I was certainly going to be curious to see how he was officiated. Um, but I will say it, you know, he's, there hasn't even been anything questionable with miles this year in terms of late hits or, you know, getting chippy with, with guys after plays, you know, he's, he's, he has sort of seemed to cut that out. I was, what I was really worried about that you kind of touched on there was like, would he be almost neutered? Like, would he have to, like, he played on that edge, like his first few years in the NFL. Like he always had that, that edge when he played. And I was worried, like, if they take that away from him, if he has to like, try to like be centered, you know, and like, that does that take away that like, you know, those fractions of seconds, you know, those things can matter, but Miles gets all the credit in the world for this. Like he, he seems to have truly just sort of moved on. He's, he, he is a little bit of a different player. Like I, I don't feel like he has quite that same, like, like I said, like there's no, none of those questionable plays. Like there were always like plenty of times where Miles had things that like, boy, even if they didn't call it a late hit, like, boy, that could have been a late hit, you know, or was that a dirty hit, you know, that there was always that element to him because I think, like, I think he felt so much pressure in his first couple of years, like, he wanted a sack on every play, you know, and I think he's just sort of, like, he's sort of matured to the point where he understands now, like, you don't need a sack on every play. Like, this, you know, just get your pressure, hurt, make the quarterback rush into throws, you know, and wear down those linemen, you know, pick your spots, pick your time, like, make the plays when we need them the most. And he's done all of that. And he has just been, he has been unreal. He is the best defensive player I've ever seen play for the Browns. Um, I've never seen a defensive player on the, on the, on the Browns impact wins and losses the way Miles Garrett has. I think we all agree that if we didn't have Miles Garrett, this team would not be four and one there. There would be a couple losses in there without him. I mean, it's uncanny that like when this team absolutely needs something to happen, he's the one who's making it happen. I mean, I don't know how, I don't know how you can find the words to like describe just how good and valuable he's been to the Browns this year. They've needed it because the secondary, you know, I mean, they, they've had some injuries, obviously that kind of altered their plans for this year. Um, but uh, it, you know, it's been kind of a feast or famine deal for the defense. They're giving up points, but yeah. they've also made just enough big plays a lot of them by Miles Garrett, obviously, uh, you know, whether it's forcing turnovers um, or, uh, you know, I, well, there was the, uh, obviously the, the uh, yeah, the, the safety. Yeah. I, I believe the, this past Sunday that the defense outscored the offense nine, nothing in the second half. So, yeah. um, you know, it's uh, it'll be an interesting test this weekend in, in Pittsburgh, um, especially with uh, the Steelers wide receivers. It, it feels like they, they're just like they have an assembly line over there, one guy after another. Um, I can't the, the guy that, that's emerged this year. I, I'm, his name escapes me, but it's like uh, yeah, go Clay figure. Pool. Clay Claypool, Pool. yeah, there, there you go. It's like, yeah, go figure. They've got a new receiver right over here. So I, I told my friend, I'm like, I, when I when I saw the, my friend has at the football game, the Browns game with, and we saw like what Claypool did, and I was like, the Steelers are just annoying. They're so <laughs> annoying. Like, of course they find a rookie that that's going to start putting up numbers like this. Like it's just ridiculous, but you know, that's, that's what good, good organizations do. And that's what the, that's what the Browns are trying to become, you know? So. Yeah. 
What uh, what do you make of Baker Mayfield so far this year? I, I have mixed feelings, but I want to hear your opinion first. Yeah, so like Baker is he's still not the same quarterback that like I sort of fell in love with his rookie year, you know, where he was very confident in the pocket his rookie year. There was you didn't feel like he was overthinking things and it was pretty much he would drop back and that ball was out. And, you know, he yeah, he makes some mistakes here and there, but you know, they had a lot of success with it. And I, I think this year he has not been that. Um, I think he's, he still sometimes seems to overthink things. He's hesitant. I think I was listening um, earlier today. I was listening to uh, Zach Jackson's podcast and he had the, whoever this, uh, whoever covers the Steelers, I believe for the athletic, but he had a Steelers uh, writer on there and this guy mentioned that Ben Roethlisberger is getting the ball out faster than any quarterback in the NFL this year. Like I think he said it's like two point something seconds and that ball's out of his hand. Baker is last in the NFL. He is holding on to the ball longer than anybody else. So those are the frustrating things with Baker. However, I will say I'm I'm actually pretty pleased. Like he's got his turnover, but interceptions are way down from the pace he was on last year at this time. Um he has had a couple, to be fair, he's had a couple that could have been intercepted that weren't. But also, like, you know, like we talked about, like, guys have dropped some passes that they could have caught for him as well. Um, that, you know, that kind of stuff goes with the territory. I feel like the way this team is set up, though, like the big thing with where Baker's at right now is, you know, we're a run-first team, um, and we're really asking Baker to just not turn the ball over. And if he can go 200 yards – one or two touchdowns, no interceptions. Like, I can live with that Baker Mayfield. Now, is that what we thought we were getting with the number one pick? Certainly not. Like, we, with the number one pick, like, we wanted that guy that was going to make the difference and win, actively win games for us. And that's, that's the next step that we sort of need to see from Baker. Is can, can he go out and win a game for us when we're not winning from the first I, quarter on? You know? I was, I was going to get to exactly that point. I, you know, it was interesting on Sunday. I think, by halftime, he had more yards passing than he had had for a total uh, in any game, uh, any of the previous four games. And, yeah. you know, you go back to, you know, what Kevin Stefanski has been doing and game planning. And it almost felt like, you know, the book had kind of been out on the Browns that, uh, hey, they're going to run the ball a lot. And especially with Nick Chubb out and and then you get the injury to Wyatt Teller, Um you know, they were in a position where they needed to pass the ball more. And that first half, the thing that really jumped out to me, I felt like for the first time in a long time, he really looked comfortable going through his progressions. And I, I know yeah. what you're saying about him, you know, holding on to the ball longer than anybody else. But if, if you could like physically see him, like looking to this side of the field, not seeing anybody open, not panicking, resetting, looking the other way and, you know, getting that third or fourth read. And it was really encouraging to watch um, second half. Not so much um, the, the splits for him this year. I, I, I went and looked this up. His, his QB rating by quarter 90.8 in the first quarter, 124.3 in the second 58.8 in the third and 27.8 in the fourth. To be uh, fair, he's only had to attempt 18 passes in fourth quarters uh, total this year. Um, you know, so it's not like he's really been in a position where he's had to go out and, you know, 
really win a game in the fourth quarter. Most of these games, I mean, you know, the first week of the season, the Baltimore game, I mean, it was, it, you know, it was a done deal uh, by the time we got to the fourth quarter. And, yeah. you know, the rest of these games, for the most part, the Browns have been, you know, in a position to try to maintain a lead. So, um, yeah, like you said, it, at some point here, it, it the game is going to be on, on the line. And, you know, can he take them uh, down the field 75 yards when you've got four minutes left in the fourth quarter? And, you know, we'll see. You And you wonder, too, like if this is the week that that could happen, right? Like, you know, sure. going into Heinz Field, it's going to be a very tough game. And this could be the game that we need him to do something. Um, in the fourth quarter to overcome Pittsburgh. I, that wouldn't surprise me uh, in the least that if the Browns find themselves in that situation. Because, I mean, it, it's it's really been something how much the Browns have been playing from from the front this so far this year. They, like you said, uh, other than that Baltimore game, you know, they they gave the lead back in that Washington game um, that they, you know, they had to go, go get the lead back. But, it, um, and to their credit, they did. But, like, other than that, like, the Browns have, pretty much been in the lead and you know Cincinnati they pretty you know pretty much were in the lead um you know and then certainly uh you know Dallas and Indianapolis so um yeah it's amazing (laughs) it's amazing what happens when you're not constantly shooting yourself in the foot (laughs) it's amazing right uh I, I I'm not I'm like I'm I'm not ultimately like I'm not I'm in no means giving up on Baker or anything like that I'm just I just sometimes wish that, you know, he could rediscover whatever that was that gave him that confidence. And like, cause I, I do agree with what you were saying in the first half against Indianapolis, he was great. Like he was really good. That was really good Baker Mayfield. Um, and I don't know what, what changed or what happened, but you know, it's funny cause Baker said that that was his worst game of the year. He felt like, and uh, he felt like even in the first half, like he, you know, he had mentioned like, he felt like they should have gotten the touchdown on that closing drive in the first half. And, you know, a couple of throws he felt like he should have had, um, you know, so I, he's saying the right things. And again, you know, they will never, they, the Browns will not mention this. You will not hear this come from the Browns, but I'll mention it. This is the, his first year in this system. It's how many offensive coordinators and coaches as he had in his brief time, like, it's a lot and it's not ideal. So I'm willing to give him time still to kind of, kind of figure this stuff out. But I do think he definitely has, has some work to do to prove that he's, he's not only is he worthy of that number one pick, but that, that he's that franchise guy that we want to invest our money and time into um, going forward. Big game on Sunday. We got uh, Jim Nance and Tony Romo. Hello friends. Uh, They'll be uh, (laughs) doing the game for CBS. Uh, Always love getting uh, those guys on a call. Um, and, uh, you know, a real, a real uh, you know, test for the, the Browns, for uh, lack of a better word, a, a progress exam, if you will, see what, uh, you know, if these first five weeks uh, have been the real deal or, or what. Um, but, man, I, I should not be doing this, and I know better, but it's hard not to look at least a little bit ahead at yep. what the rest of this schedule looks like and – the Browns can find a way to get it done on Sunday. Oh boy, look out! <laughs> if the Browns win on Sunday, you have to start talking playoffs. Yeah, you, know, you do. The Browns, uh, you know, you be 
you win this game and you look at the winnable games down the stretch for this team, like you're you're gonna be sitting there looking at it and saying like ten games, even eleven wins, like those are gonna be reasonable goals if they win this if they win this game for sure. Um, I think it's just exciting to have like uh, a, a a meaningful game against Pittsburgh, and it's funny because like. I, I'm with you. Like I view this as like sort of a, a litmus test for the Browns. Like where, you know, where are we at? But like, I was listening to, I don't remember. I don't remember who it was. I saw, I saw somebody on ESPN, I think said that this was a test for the Steelers, that the Steelers hadn't played anybody. And like, this is their first test. It's like, what are we? Yeah. Are yeah. The, the Browns <laughs> are the test for somebody, you know, like, so I, I think this is an interesting game for both teams, though. I think both teams have a lot to prove, and it's going to be an interesting game because there is the dynamic of what happened, um, you know, when the last time Miles was in uniform against Pittsburgh. I don't, I think that it's going to be a, you know, that's going to give this game a little bit of extra juice and emotion, right? Like, you know, you know Pittsburgh's going to do everything they can to get under Miles' skin and to get him to react. And, um, you know, so it's, it's just exciting. Like this is like for so long, like the Browns have lost that rivalry with the Steelers. The it's been the Steelers and Ravens, and it's been painful to watch that become the the marquee rivalry of this division. But beating Pittsburgh this Sunday will be a great first step to getting it back to where we want it to be, where these teams have to t- start taking us seriously. I love it. Us, Let's, us being the Browns. We, us, we're, <laughs> you're damn right. Let's do it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> All right. Um, hey, we got a few more minutes here. I was going to ask you uh, over the weekend, uh, the uh, the NBA season that uh, took about 380 days finally concluded uh, in the bubble down there uh, at Disney. Uh, LeBron and uh, the Lakers are the NBA champions. Um, you know, obviously there's a Northeast Ohio tie. Uh, I am curious, and I know you uh, are a, a big uh, Cavs fan, uh, NBA fan. Um, how much of the playoffs were you into and, uh, how did you feel uh, about the way things played out? Yeah. So I, as far as like how I felt about the playoffs in general, um, I had a hard time with it. I'm not going to lie. Like the Cavs being left out of the bubble while I understood the reasoning and the logic of why, like it, it really, it frustrated me. Um, I didn't like it. Um, I, it really, for the for the first time, like there was like this real stark, like haves and have nots, you know, there was relevance and irrelevance. You could not be more irrelevant to the NBA than the Cavs are right now because they didn't go into this bubble that, you know, I look at like some of these teams went into the bubble and, you know, they weren't going to advance. They weren't going to make the playoffs, but they still got to make some progress. They showed some things to some people and said like, look, there's something going on here with these teams. Yeah, Phoenix, Memphis. Certainly, you know, certainly Phoenix. Like, Phoenix made the absolute most of their time in that bubble. And it was very frustrating. Like, I feel like, you know, not to mention there was a certain camaraderie amongst all the people inside the bubble. And if you, you know, that, you know, the free agency and, you know, the NBA is such a, like, relationship thing now with with these players. And for the Cavs to not even be able to be there and be a part of that, like, that that sucked. And it turned me off. I'm not going to lie. Like, this was I've probably never been more disconnected from the NBA playoffs than I was this year. Um, 
you talk about the fraternizing going on there. We there are always great stories in free agency that come out years after the fact, after yeah. players team up, and you find out, oh yeah, these guys were talking at uh, All Star yeah. Weekend, or uh, these guys were talking during the Olympics. And uh, I will be very curious to see what deals we find out about years from now that basically went down while these guys were hanging out. Uh, down in the bubble with nothing else to do between games. It's it's going to happen. Like it yeah. will happen. There will be move, big moves that happen because of guys hanging out in this thing. Like, cause like, I mean, you mentioned the perfect examples, like the Olympics is probably like the closest thing that we have to this, where guys were spending so much time just together. And there have been countless stories of guys forming relationships um, in the, in the Olympics and so not even just the Olympics, but very, you know, uh, all of any team USA activity um, has had a has a, had a major impact in shaping the free agency landscape in the NBA, and the Cavs are just not a part of that. Right. And it's really it's it just it's really hard to overcome that like message of like you know what these guys weren't even there like they just don't matter. And it was hard. I'm not I'm not gonna lie. So that part of it was hard. Um, your second part, like as far as like LeBron winning, um, I. I'm certainly happy for LeBron. Um, there was like always this part of me that like, I couldn't shake. Like if I'm being honest with the way I feel like kind of wanted that Cavs one to be the last one, like, cause you know, it's like, well, if he wins another one, does it cheapen at all? The Cavs one, you know? Um, and I don't think that it played out that way. I think if you, you can't tell me LeBron's reaction when you watch his reaction to winning that title, it was not the same as it was when he won um you know that that title with cleveland and um i'm just you know like i i want lebron to be known as the best player who ever lived i do i do i i i don't know that i can say for sure he's there i i, I you know i don't know um but i'll i think i personally do think he's the best basketball player i've ever seen and uh I think the more titles he gets, the more the easier it's going to be to make that argument. I mean, he'll probably never he'll never be able to compete with six and zero, right? Like you just yeah. you you can't compete with that. And there's no question. Like I'm not a person. I don't get mad at people who say Jordan was better because Jordan was unreal. Like I lived through the Michael Jordan era. Like he was unreal, and I think Michael Jordan struck a fear in opponents in a way that LeBron doesn't. Um, and that's nothing against LeBron. That's just what, what MJ was. So, so I get all that, but like, I, I, I want LeBron to get, you know, and so like, it's kind of like, I want LeBron to be in that conversation. And so if he needs to get one or two more, like I'm, I'm, I'm okay with it. I, I have no regrets. Like he, he spent 11 awesome years in Cleveland. Like we got to watch one of the two best players of all time, play 11 seasons for the Cavs, win us a title. So what do I have to be bitter about? Right. Exactly. Yeah, I uh, I hear that. And um, it kind of felt like as these playoffs unfolded, you could certainly see where things were trending. Oh, uh, so like, it got to be so inevitable, right? Yeah, like the Lakers, and especially, I mean, any hope that Miami might have had of, uh, you know, pulling an upset in the finals, which honestly, I didn't even really want to see. I, I've never liked Miami. Yeah, um, but, uh, you know, any hope they might have had, I think, was, uh, you know, probably dashed with those injuries they had in the first game. Um, yeah. I will say though, like that game five on Friday night, I did not watch it start to finish, but I was able to turn it on for the fourth quarter. 
that like final quarter of that game, especially if you go down to like the last five minutes or so, was fantastic basketball with LeBron and Jimmy Butler just trading haymakers back and forth. Um, I, I know the atmosphere isn't quite what you would, you know, get in a traditional NBA Finals setting with 20,000 people in the building, um, but the actual on-court product there was uh, incredible. And, um, you know, I was really glad I was able to watch that. You know, I, and I just felt like the playoffs in general this year, um, there were some really interesting performances and, and the, just some go, – go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, the, the basketball itself – in the in these playoffs that I saw was amazing. Like I really felt like like I thought that the product would be bad playing in an empty arena. I really did. I didn't think it. I just felt like it would it would feel like a practice more so. And at times it did, but like I really like these guys really got competitive about this in yeah. a way. You know the the playoffs always have that, but it just felt like there was a, sometimes it just felt like there was a little something extra. Like you really like so many series had these one-on-one battles and um, you know, I like, I, it just sort of took on an edge that I don't think that a lot of them had because it was just such a unique experience. And, and so, you know, sometimes maybe that, if, if you want to call it like a pseudo practice atmosphere, maybe that lended itself well to that guy's like, look, you know, the stars on each team looking each other in the eye and saying like, all right, let's just go like yeah. you and me, like, Let's go do this. And we had some awesome battles. Yeah. I mean, you had uh, Luka Doncic with the Mavs. Um, Mm -hmm. And there was that second round series between, uh, I think it was Boston and Toronto. Oh, Denver Denver and Utah. Um, Yeah, Denver and Utah. Jamal Murray was unbelievable. A lot of good stuff. And, you know, the Lakers, I mean, LeBron, I mean, just the fact that he's in year 17 and he could still be, you know, the best player on the floor. Um, it's, it's unbelievable. And, you know, so you had that game on Friday night where like him and Jimmy Butler were going toe to toe. The heat win that game and came back on Sunday and LeBron was right back at it again. It was wasn't like, yeah, it's like, okay, you just took my best punch and you still beat me. Well, guess what? Here it comes again. You got to do it again. And, yeah, that was it. So I, th- uh, I think a lot of people kind of wondered, you know, like after losing that game, after getting that performance from LeBron, like, oh man, did this series shift? And I mean, the Lakers just came out and were just like, yeah, no, we're cool. Like, <laughs> you guys had your fun. Like, we're done. Like this, this series is over, and they just slammed the door on that in that game. And I, I mean, what what can you say about a guy like, like again, like LeBron? LeBron, like this guy, I mean, what can you say? Like, this is a guy who had all, you know, all the, all the hype in the world, you know, in high school, not, not only lives up to it, far exceeds it, but like this dude has never been in any kind of trouble. Um, you know, he's never had any like real, like big controversy or anything. I didn't, you know, really, I mean, like the worst thing people talk about is that, you know, his decision, decision show, uh, he wins this championship and like the next day he's on posting Instagram stories in his little house that he made for his daughter. And, <laughs> you, you know, like, it's like, it's like as wholesome as it gets almost, you know, yeah, like it's, it's pretty clean. Um, he's everything you want in a superstar. And he's, he's a, it's just awesome to watch. Yeah. That's the thing. Like, 
you know, I keep saying it, but you're 17 and he'll put up 35, 10 and 10 and nobody thinks twice about it because it's like, well, that's just what LeBron does. And it's like people forget he has played, I think, three extra full seasons on top of those 17 years just in playoff games. (laughs) And he's never missed a playoff game in his career. Um, and, and, you know, those are the most stressful games that you can be in the most competitive uh, environments you can be in. And, and that's when he's at his best. And, you know, we saw it again this year and, um, yeah, I was really impressed with Anthony Davis too, uh, you know, defensively and just the way he was disrupting, uh, things in the post. And then, you know, he comes out at the other end and he's knocking down that three point buzzer beater, uh, you know, earlier on in the playoffs and. Um, yeah, they're tough. And, the rest uh, of that team, the rest of the team, not not so great. But like, when no, you, I, the, Cavs, the, the sixteen Cavs would have would have beaten them. Yeah, um, you but, know, in terms of like the pantheon of champions, I, I don't think, uh, you know, of the last fifteen years or so, I don't necessarily think they'd rank very high. But right. um, they, I felt like they were clearly the best team this year. Um, yep. Just a weird transition year. For the NBA yep. in general, uh, you know, yeah, a lot of teams kind of shaken up and, you know, there was really none of, you know, what we had seen in, in recent years was every team that was a contender had like the big three or in the case of the Warriors, a big four. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this year yeah. it was really like, you know, nobody had uh, more than like two superstars, but there yeah. were a lot of teams that had two really good players. This would have been the perfect year to bring back NBA jam is what I'm getting at here. <laughs> but um, <laughs> Uh, you know, it's, uh, they, uh, it was, it was an interesting year. Um, and you know, I just think about like, whenever we see the NBA again, uh, you know, there's nobody really knows when we're going to get games again. I mean, I think the the draft is in about a month. Uh, but, uh, you know, they're talking like January at the earliest, like maybe around MLK day. I've heard as late as March. Um, you know, so, I mean, we could end up looking at like a full calendar year between Cavs games, which just depresses the hell out of me. Um, But, you know, the the one good thing is whenever the league comes back, you're going to see a lot of guys who are out this year. Uh, There's going to be a real influx of talent in the league, if not so much the draft. I don't think anybody's particularly high on this, the top of this draft class. But, you know, uh, the Warriors are going to be back at full strength. Um, You know, the Nets are going to be interesting. Yeah, uh, you know, there were several other guys this year that went down during the season. So, um, yeah, it'll, it'll be a fun year whenever it starts. <laughs> I think, I think, like the the NBA itself, like I think to your point, really went through a shift in this previous off season. You know, it you you really did see the dismantling of you know a lot of different teams, and there really there really isn't. The, the Warriors are back to like they're the big three now. I mean, yeah, you know, Cur- you know, Curry, Clay, and uh, Draymond. Like that's the big three. There's not, and they've got moves team. they can make too with Wiggins' contract, and yeah, yeah and they top, got that number two pick, number two, number pick, two yeah. pick in this draft. So you know they're they're in a they're in a great position. Like people are sleeping on the Warriors. Like they're so, somehow like everybody thought like when Durant left, like that 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 was it, and like nobody realizes the fact that. Clay Thompson didn't play this year. Curry was out most of the year. Um, you know, that these Warriors are going to look different. Um, 
uh, this year. But like, but throughout the league, like it was such a shakeup, and it was a it, it was a fun year from that aspect. Like going into this year, I don't think anybody really knew what to expect from this season. You know, the the Clippers were sort of the de facto favorite from the beginning, and they never lived up to that. Um, people weren't sure what to make of the Lakers because they were so top heavy with just LeBron and AD, and it was like, well, how can they fill a team around them, right? Um, but they, the, the Lakers were the best team, like you said, like pretty much all year. And they, uh, I think they were a pretty worthy champion for this year. But it, but it was, I, if I, you know, setting aside my bitterness about the way the bubble played out for the Cavs, I think looking at the NBA product as a whole, I actually think this was a pretty good year for them. Um, it was just, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm like with you. Else, like, every, it, it took me a while to get into the NBA playoffs and at the outset, I mean, that was when the Blue Jackets were still playing in the NHL playoffs and having a rooting interest in that and really not having a team to latch out to in the NBA. It, it took me a while to get into it, but, um, and I probably overall did not watch as much this year um, of the NBA playoffs, but I mean, it was a combination of, like you said, not having the Cavs in. And then on top of that, I mean, this is a once in a lifetime situation in terms of like every major sporting event in the world happening at once. Yeah. Like there was, uh, you know, yeah. I think it was about a it month ago. I, I watched like an NBA playoff game an NHL playoff game an NFL game, uh, a baseball game, uh, a college football game and the U S open tennis tournament all in one night, just because I, for no other reason than because I could, I'm like, what am I ever going to get an opportunity like this again? And like, you know, you know I, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but I, I will just say like, you know, for other reasons, you, you've heard a lot of talk about, oh, the NBA was way down in terms of TV viewership. Uh, mm-hmm. Sportsmediawatch.com uh, put together these numbers. The NBA finals were down 49% from where they were last year. So yeah, obviously that, that's a catastrophic drop, but you put that into context, the Stanley Cup final was down 61%. Uh, the Preakness was down 56. The U.S. Open Golf Tournament was down 56. U.S. Open Tennis was down 45. The The Derby was down 43%. Um, really, I mean, the did only have, things that were up. Yeah. So, like, the only things that were up were the last round of the PGA Championship, um, the WNBA Finals, and uh, the uh, other PGA Tour coverage on CBS. That's it. Everything else has been down. So, you know, everybody wants to construct their their theories and assign, you know, rationale to, to these things. But I really think, like, you know, the other thing that's way up is uh, news coverage right now. The cable news stations yeah. are, are through the roof. Yeah. Um, I'm sure that. there's probably people watching that stuff right now as we're recording <laughs> this with the, uh, the town halls going on. But, uh, uh, you know, do with that what you will. But, uh, yeah, to me, like, I don't think any of that stuff holds water. It's really just, you know, between news and everything happening at once. It was just you know, an unprecedented time. You can only watch you know, one thing at a time. I mean, yeah. it is what it is. So I will say, I, I, I wouldn't mind if the NBA shifted their season. They won't do it, but I wouldn't mind them like having their opening day be like the day after the Super Bowl, like. Mm. I really wouldn't mind the NBA shifting their schedule back because as somebody like, I love football, like basketball has always been my favorite sport, but I also love football. And so it's always been like a little, like little, like hard to sort of get into that beginning part of the basketball season when you've also got football going on and you've got that, 
you know, the NFL playoffs, you know, are dominating, you know, the first half of the NBA season. And so I th- if I'm the NBA, I would sit there and say, you know, what would be so bad about just starting after the NFL's over? Uh, I would much rather compete against baseball for TV viewership than, uh, yes. than the NBA. I don't know that the, the NFL. It'll be interesting to see, like, you know, it's going to take the NBA to whatever time window that they settle in as their new normal. It's probably going to take a couple years because I think this upcoming yeah. season is still going to be unusual whether yep, they shorten sure. the season or, or they just make it go real late again. Um, I, I don't know that we'll ever see the NBA go to, you know, a, a window past the Super Bowl, but I definitely could see a, a season that begins on Christmas day. Well, that's, like, they, that's the thing they don't want to give up is their Christmas day. Like that's their big day. So like, and like let's Christmas be honest. Day. Yeah. Like, let's be honest. Like we've known, like when the Cavs were a title contender, you look at, they would have, what, what is it, like 30 or 32 games on national TV, whatever the max number was allowed, and mm-hmm. only like three of those were before the new year because like TNT would always backload mm-hmm. all of their Cavs appearances for after Thursday night football was over because they didn't want to sure. waste a, a Cavs-LeBron game uh, going up the against the NFL. Um, yeah. And, you know, that ain't going to change. That actually, you know, that reminds me. Did you watch any of the uh, NFL game on Tuesday night? That was it, the Bills and the Titans. I, I watched a little bit, not a, not. A, I watched probably about the second quarter. Is this going to open the door to the NFL having another <laughs> night or T- taking yet another night? Yeah, I mean, very on brand for the NFL to <laughs> take a global pandemic and turn it into a business opportunity. Um, but yeah, I was thinking about that, like with with all these. Games having to be shuffled, I've been kind of wondering, you know, are we going to see like a Monday night football doubleheader become an every week thing or is Tuesday night football going to become a thing? You would probably have to extend the season out and give teams two buys just to get everybody enough rest if they're playing on one of these wacky nights. But um, I personally, I don't know why. I don't know. I don't know what the like logic behind this is, but like, I feel like I would rather have Tuesday night football than Thursday night football. Like I'd rather have games just be Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday, and I I feel like it would be better for the team. Like the Thursday night games are never good. The third the Thursday I watch night them games, all anyway. <laughs> I, I know, but like they're not they're never good. Like these, I don't care. <laughs> it's so hard for these teams to prepare in that short of a turnaround, and you know, so like by moving it to moving that game and having it be a Tuesday game, like you're giving you know, you have more time to prepare in the lead up to it. And it's, you know, not quite as bad going to turn going around the other Tuesday, way. Tuesday to Sunday, but yeah, uh, I don't know. I, but, I have a feeling that I think the NFL TV deal is up in the next year or two and whatever they negotiate for the next contract, I would not be shocked if these uh, weeknight games become more of a thing. Um, and I'll be honest, why not? Like, you know, on paper, sure. am I getting excited about bills and, uh, titans no but you know what if i turn the tv and it's on (laughs) guess what i'm watching it so yeah exactly yeah well uh the the ripple effects of that on uh, the other sports leagues uh will be interesting to follow yeah andrew this has been fun man thanks for uh taking the time yeah absolutely thanks for having me on it's fun to finally be on so uh yeah yeah we've been trying to do this for a while so i'm uh, I'm glad we can make it work yeah definitely 
you uh, you going to be on with Craig on uh, the uh, the WFNY pod anytime soon? You guys were uh, in a little rhythm there for a while. Yeah, we've uh, we've been on here now in a couple of weeks, so I guess we're due. So we'll have to have to make that happen too. Yeah, get get Mr. Craig back behind the microphone here. Um, yeah, he's slacking. all right hey as a reminder for us you could subscribe to the nail in the coffin on apple podcasts we're on spotify we're on TuneIn, stitcher google podcasts and of course you could stream us on waitingfornextyear.com that's gonna do it for us i'm tom valentino it's been the nail in the coffin catch you again soon Hi, listeners. We wanted to take a moment to tell you about another podcast from Evergreen Podcasts and Sound Talent Media called Pit Lane Parlay. Pit Lane Parlay is the go-to podcast for IndyCar and motorsports-related news. Each episode, we discuss things like our favorite drivers, news clips from the last week, and generally giving each other a hard time about predictions we've made in the past and or life stories that have come up recently. We really have a lot of fun with it and really enjoy each other's company, and we hope you can come join us too. Join Pit Lane Parlay by following us on your favorite podcast today.